The church in Jerusalem was growing. Growth was not the goal. Growth was the byproduct. When the disciples huddled together in the upper room, they weren't strategizing for church growth. What were they doing? Do you remember? They were praying, right? Why were they there in the upper room praying? Because they were following orders. They were following Christ's orders. He told them, go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. I want you to to wait on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it was the Holy Spirit working in them and through the gospel by which many souls were saved and added to the church. But growth wasn't the goal. Growth was the byproduct So in our series forward here, we've been looking at the early church in Jerusalem in these first six chapters of Acts, and we've been developing some essentials of a church moving forward. And here's what we've seen so far. A church on the move is one that is following Christ's orders, prioritizing prayer, operating by the Spirit, making disciples, functioning in community, overcoming opposition, and last weekend we saw dealing with sin, and tonight from Acts chapter 6, we see that a church on the move will, without exception, need to be solving problems, church problems. You know, as a church moves forward, As a church grows, so do the problems. Are you aware of that? I know this may come to a shock shock to some of you, but but churches have problems too. I know that problems are normal in life, aren't they? We all face problems. Anybody have a problem? You know, do you have a problem with the sound? It seems a little too loud. I kind of have a problem with it. Could you bring it down a little bit? We all have a problem, right? Uh, we all have some problem that we probably came in here tonight with, problems at home, problems at work. How many of you would agree there's problems in Washington, D.C. that involve all of us, right? Problems, 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 health problems and family problems, marital problems, money problems, car problems, people problems, personal problems, right? Here a problem, there a problem everywhere, Problem, problem. And when it comes to our gathering as a church, I think we come in here as a church and we hope to find a refuge, right? We hope to find a refuge from our problems. We don't want to come into the church and find problems. We want to get away. We want to escape from our problems. The last place we want problems is in the church, you and me both. I don't want problems in the church. None of us do. Nobody wants problems in the church any more than we want problems at home or at work. And sometimes I think what we do is we look in the book of Acts and we look at the early church and we think, you know, we kind of look at it through these rose-colored glasses and we think that the early church, man, everything just had to be so wonderful, I mean, they had the apostles, and man, you read Acts chapter 2, and man, it's just this wonderful, wonderful thing. Certainly, the early church didn't have any problems. Well, I have news for us tonight. 
the early church in Jerusalem had problems too. In fact, if you read the New Testament and you read particularly the letters addressed to the churches, here's what you'll find out. They all had problems. Read the first couple chapters of Revelation as Jesus addresses the church sometime later. And they all had problems, all seven of them. And Jesus is like, time out, repent. You got problems, right? That was a sin problem. We're talking about a different kind of problem tonight. But all churches have problems that need to be solved. I, I recently read about several churches that were having problems with squirrels damaging their building. This caught my attention because, you know, we're, we're going to build a building. We don't want squirrels. So I, I, that kind of got my attention. Well, the Presbyterian Church. Anybody ever been to a Presbyterian Church? No, but a couple of you, all right? So the Presbyterian Church, they called a meeting to decide what to do about the squirrel infestation. And so after much prayer and deliberation, they concluded that the squirrels were predetermined to be there in the building by God's eternal and unchanging decree, and so they would not interfere with God's revealed will. They let the squirrels stay, and I guess they destroyed the building. At the Baptist church, anybody ever been to a Baptist church before? All right, we got more Baptists and Presbyterians. At the Baptist church, the deacons got together, and they met, and they decided, get this, I love this idea. They put a water slide on the baptistry. They thought they'd let the squirrels jump in and drown themselves. Sounds like something Baptists might do. But the squirrels liked the slide. In fact, unfortunately, they instinctively knew how to swim. And so twice as many squirrels showed up the following week and soon ended up destroying the church. But the Catholic Church came up with a more creative strategy. They baptized all the squirrels, all of them, made them members of the church. And so now the squirrels are only seen on Christmas and Easter. Not much, much was heard from the Jewish synagogue. They took the first squirrel and circumcised him. And they haven't seen a squirrel since. Church problems. I'm happy to report to you tonight, we don't have a squirrel problem. All right? I don't think there's a squirrel problem in this building. But like every other church, including the early church in Jerusalem, we are going to encounter problems if we are going to be a church that moves forward. Remember that. We're going to have problems. Here's what we're going to see tonight in Acts chapter 6. First, we're going to see the reality of problems in the church, then how to respond to church problems, and then the result of when a church works together to solve problems. So number one is this, number one, the reality. Here's the reality. Look at it on the screen. Problems don't go away as a church moves forward. They just change. Different problems. Increased membership brought new problems. A new set of problems surfaced in the church of Jerusalem. Luke says here in verse number 1 that, that there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So not even the first church was perfect. They had the best leaders imaginable. They had the 12 apostles, right? 
These were great men. These men had been trained by Jesus personally. And yet still they had problems. They were growing in a way that could only be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet, yes, they still had problems. What's the problem? Well, it was an administrative problem related to the fact that the church was growing with people. Different people. Say it with me. Different people. People from different backgrounds. People from different culture. People with different languages. Believers, yes. But what? Different. And the sudden growth meant that all of a sudden this close-knit group of, of disciples from mostly similar backgrounds and traditions were being overrun. Okay? Look around the room. It's really easy as a church grows that, that, you, that you, we think back to, time, oh, wasn't it wonderful when we were a church of 50 people and, and it was just so close-knit and warm and, and, and fuzzy, right? We're, we're going to look back on these times right here and we're going to, oh, but it was so special. It was so warm and fuzzy, you know? It, it, we were so close-knit. Well, well, imagine what is going on in Jerusalem, thousands, like the church is up to 20,000 people at this point. Growth wasn't the goal. It was the byproduct of God doing something. Here's what happened. The church was being overrun by these, do you see it there in verse number one? These Hellenistic Jews. What, is, is this like some Jews from the Hell's Angel? What, 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 who are these Hellenistic Jews? Jews for crying out loud. Well, here's what you need to know. Uh, the, the, the Greek culture had penetrated the Palestinian world, and nearly all the Jews during this period spoke some Greek. But these Hellenistic Jews could also be called Grecian Jews. They only spoke Greek. They didn't speak Hebrew. Uh, they didn't speak Aramaic. These were Jews who lived in Jerusalem. They were from uh, the, the diaspora, you know, when uh, they had come back. They had been, uh, their ancestors had been exiled, you know, put, they, they were moved down into Gentile areas. And, and out there they got the Greek culture and different language. And when they moved back to Jerusalem, it was just, they, they were looked at as second-class Israelites. In fact, the Talmud, according to the Talmud, Phariseeism, uh, made it little secret that they had this great contempt for these Hellenistic Jews. And that attitude was quite widespread, this Hebraic superiority. We're, but we're, we're, more, we're more traditional. We are, we're, we're, you know, we're from the old country. We, we have the old language. We speak the, the language of of the, the, the great ancient Hebrews, Moses, and all the rest of them. And since coming to Jerusalem, a growing number of these Jews had become Christians. And now they're part of the church. And it's possible that these Hellenized uh, Jews found that participation in the, the uh, Hebraic, with the Hebraic churches, with... Uh, Aramaic is what I was looking for, that, that the Aramaic worship was just too difficult for them. They, they had a, they, what's going on? We don't 
quite understand. And so they began associating with those of like culture, those with the same language. Can you, you can kind of understand that, right? And remember, the church didn't have a building, right? So they met in homes. So it was really easy for them just that you go find a home of the people who are most like you, right? We all speak the same language. We have the same culture. We're not going to feel like we're getting talked down to. We're not going to feel like we're getting dirty looks because we don't know the Aramaic. Are you with me? Right? Well, Luke reports here that the Hellenized Jews, their widows, were being inadvertently left out of the church's Meals on Wheels ministry. Okay? It wasn't deliberate. Um, there, th- this was not some purposeful neglect. Again, we're not talking about a sin problem. We're simply talking t- tonight, church, about a growing pains problem. Do you have growing pains when you're growing up, right? This was a growing pains problem. And the problem generated there in verse number one, complaints. Complaints. The Greek word means murmuring. Probably they were grumbling amongst themselves and the word spread until it got to the apostles who heard about it. And let me just say right here that God's way to deal with a problem is not to grumble about it. God's way would be to directly go to the leaders. Uh, If you have a problem with someone else in the church, go directly to that person rather than spreading and and gossiping and and grumbling and complaining all around. Leaders can't deal with a problem they don't know about. Well, word eventually got back to the apostles. This is a problem that arose out of ministry. They're trying to serve the Lord. They're trying to meet the needs of these widows, but they're falling short. And it's not because they're worldly-minded. It's not because they're doing nothing. It's simply because the church has grown. They are not able to accomplish everything that needed to be done. You know, often it's when we're serving the Lord together that conflicts erupt, right? If you've been in the church for very long and you've ever done any service in the church, you know that, boy, that's where problems can pop up. That's where troubles can come into the the picture. And it can be shocking at times to discover that not all of the Lord's, the other other servants of God, that they, not everybody sees things like, like we see them. There's different viewpoints. There's different opinions. It's really naive for us to think that, well, because we're all born again, we won't experience any problems or conflicts. Are you married to a Christian? Yeah, yeah, you know what conflict is. You know what problems that you can have between two people who love each other and love Jesus and who are trying to get along and, you know, honor the Lord. There, there's, there can be problems there too. Salvation doesn't eradicate problems, conflicts, opinions, troubles. It doesn't do that. And these are spiritual babies. You know what spiritual babies do? What did your, we had six babies, right? And I can tell you, because I still have nightmares, but changing diapers is no fun. I think at some point I just said, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to have to pass on this. I'm going to have to pass. Uh, But you'll be happy to know that when my grandson Jamie was over, I still got it, baby. 
I still got it. I, I changed that kid, pew, right, just like that. I remembered everything you should do when changing a boy's diaper and went off without a hitch, I'll just tell you that. But, but babies mess diapers, right? When, if, if you're around a baby, man, they, they squawk, they, they, they make noise, they get fussy, and yeah, they just eat and poop. It seems like that's all they do. But did you know that even mature believers are not exempt from self-centeredness and struggles and sin? We're not, none of us are exempt from these things. So we shouldn't be shocked when moving forward means new problems to solve. I love what Chuck Swindoll uh, said. He said this, he said, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Think about that. If we would see problems in the church this way, every problem is what? an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. I love the way he looks at that. That's the way we ought to look at the problems that we encounter as a church. That's the way we ought to look at problems that we have at home, at work, wherever. View it this way. This is an opportunity for God to show his power. Well, this brings us to number two, the response. Here's the response. Here's what I want us to see here. Problems give the church the opportunity to work together in unity and love. Say that with me. Problems give the church the opportunity to work together in unity and love. Problems call for solutions. If you have a squirrel problem, you don't put a slide into the bathtub. You call the exterminator, right? I mean, that's, my wife would feed them. That's what she would do. She would get a little bowl of milk and she, oh, they're so cute. We got to feed them. They're, they're, they're precious. No, I want to get a trap, put some peanut butter in. I want to I catch those little rascals before they rip my house apart. If you have health problems... You go see a doctor, right? You go get some treatment. You, are you with me? You following this? If you have car problems, you fix it. Or you call someone who can, right? A mechanic. If you have marital problems, you go see a counselor. If you have money problems, you go to Washington. You buy one of those printing presses, you know, and you just run money off like the government does. And that solves your, oh, you can't, we can't do that, can we? You go buy Dave Ramsey's book and you, 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 you set your budget, right? And you get things in, in order, right? There, there's a, maybe you start a side hustle, but, but if you have a problem, you don't ignore it. You look for a solution. Ignoring problems don't make them go away. So what should we do when it comes to church problems? Ignore it, stay home, stay away, you know? I don't have anything to do with that. I hear there's a problem at church. I'm staying home. We shouldn't ignore them. We shouldn't avoid them. We shouldn't disengage from them. We shouldn't hope they go away on their own. How did the Jerusalem church solve this problem? So I want to give you six principles. And look, there's probably 30 of them in here. And maybe you could come up with your own list of six. I just, I came up with six and I'm not sure that they're the best. I mean, there's probably better ones we could have come up with here. But, but these, are, these are the six I came up with, all right? So here's six principles for solving church problems. Number one, here it is. Number one, come together 
rather than choosing sides or causing division. Right? What does verse 2 say? Luke reports, the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples. Notice what the apostles didn't say. (coughs) They didn't say, hey, hey, it's time to divide up the church. Our differences are what they are. So all the Hebraic-speaking, Hebrew-speaking Jews, you come with us. And all the rest of you scoundrels, all you hell's angels, you know, Jews, you guys go down the street, go somewhere else, go find your own church. You also have to notice here that they didn't throw out the ones who brought up the issue. Now, sometimes we do that in churches of leadership, right? Somebody raises the issue, it's like, sorry, we don't want to hear it. Nah, 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 nah. Go, find, go somewhere else, go do something else. Leave me alone. I don't want to deal with that, Right? Uh, They didn't say my way or the highway. That's not what they did here. They didn't shun or ignore the ones who brought up the issue. They didn't call in the the Hellenistic believers to sort it out and leave the Hebraic believers out of it. Even though these two groups had diverse backgrounds and languages, they wanted to work this problem out in a spirit of unity, not division. So what do they do? They bring everybody together. The Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews together as one body in one gathering. Again, they didn't have a a church building. Imagine the logistics of this. How how do you get 20,000 people together? Maybe it was just the guys, I don't know. Maybe it was just the adults, I don't know. doesn't say exactly. But it had to be a lot of people. More people than we we could fit in this room 10 times over, you know, on a weekend. They got, them, they got them together. That's what it tells us. They brought them together with all their differences. You know, it's human nature to do life, including the Christian life, with other humans most like us and with other humans who most like us. Do you pick up on that distinction? Other Christians who are most like us and other Christians who most like us, right? We, we tend to gravitate to people that we share things in common. That's just human nature. Birds of a feather, what do they do? Yeah, right? But listen, the church is to be different. This is different. This is what we find throughout Scripture. Romans tells us, Paul, Paul wrote, now as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. What is it, what, what's Paul saying? He said, we have to put aside our differences. In fact, we need to see our differences, our uniqueness as part of the design, part of God's designed for the church. We need to put aside our differences because we are one body in Christ. Paul wrote to the Galatian church, there's no Jew or Greek, right? It's not Hellenistic or Hebraic Jews. It's it's not Jew or Greek. It's not slave or free. It's not male or female. Since you are all one in Christ Jesus, church, 
Church problems give us the opportunity to express our faith and exercise our faith in God as well as exercising our faith in one another. Our ability to to work together as one body. And so we're to come together rather than choosing sides, rather than causing division. Come together. When there's a church problem, don't scatter, come together. Number two, we need to give priority to the word. We see it here in verse number two, the verses on the screen there. The apostles, they don't blame anyone. They don't lash out in self-defense. Rather, they explain their philosophy of ministry. They say this, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Now, look, this could easily sound offensive today, couldn't it? What? You're not going to take care of the widows? What do you guys, you going to sit up there all high and mighty and, you know, back in your closed off room and, and, you know, just have a prayer meeting? Is that what you're going to do? Don't have time for the daily distribution? Think you're too good for these type of tasks? After all, Christ had told them if you're going to be great, you're to be what? A servant of all. Problems are to be solved. Fires need to be put out. But listen, the ministry of God's word is always to be top priority. I think Peter, for one, could have heard maybe in his head as he's dealing with this, the voice of his master. Peter, do you love me? Remember this? Do you love me? Well, tend to my sheep. Feed my sheep. Take care of my lambs, right? Feed them. Peter would have known how the word-based ministry was a most vital, in a most vital way in which he could serve the flock of God. And without it, they would flounder. They needed the word. The danger, church, is this. The danger is that word-based ministry messengers of the church can become so embroiled in the affairs that keep us from the proclamation of God's word that it could deal a fatal blow to an infant church. They had to remain with their primary ministry. And so fortunately, wisdom prevails. The word went forward. And the prioritization of the word in the church's life, it's a slow work. This is a slow work. Preaching and teaching of God's word, man, it's just a steady, just week in and week out. It is preaching the word, right? What Paul told Timothy, man, in season and out of season, just preach the word, rebuke, correct, right? This is what Paul instructed young preacher Timothy to do. And so pastors today, pastor teachers today, we must focus on the word of God and prayer just like the early apostles. But church, know this, there's always something pulling a pastor away from the word. There's always some pressure that could allow distraction of the heart and mind. And it's, but what I want you to know is this, look, it's not the pastor's job to keep the church informed about Social things, right? Whatever's going on in Washington. I, I don't, don't, don't come to me looking for some type of political answer on something. It's, I'm to preach the word, right? I, I try to be uh, informed, but, but please understand 
My job isn't to be engaged in political activism, social justice. That's, that's, not, my, that's not what I've been called to do. Think about the Apostle Paul. Here's a guy who, who lived during a time of rampant and systematic, uh, a systematic system of slavery. But you read his letters. Paul doesn't spend his time going after slavery. I mean, he talks about it. He tells slaves what they're to do and masters how they're to, to treat one another. What does he do, though? He simply preaches the gospel, and he, let, he lets the gospel slowly erode the system of slavery. Slavery fell. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this country, it was because of, of the gospel. It was because of the freedom that we have in Christ, the, a biblical understanding. That's why people shed their blood to free slaves. It, was, it all came back to the gospel. So what are we to do? We are to preach the word and let the slow burn of the gospel destroy the idols and the altars of the soul. That is our job. That, is, that must be a priority in the church. And I'm afraid that it's kind of a, a passing thing in many ways in our culture. But listen, today we stand because of the apostles' doctrine, right? Because of the apostles' doctrine, aren't you glad they prioritized it? We ought to be. Let me say just one more thing before moving on. Listen, most of the problems that we encounter in life are better solved when we give the word priority in our lives. When we give the word priority in our thoughts, when we give the word priority in our behaviors, right? Think about, think about problems that we encounter in life. We would be much better served if we would give the word priority in how we go about dealing with those problems, be it in our marriage, in our finances, with our time, in our work, with our recreation, you name it. If we would give the word priority, if we would know what God says and live according to what God says, we might eliminate many of the problems that we deal with on a daily basis. Give God's word priority in your life. Live by this book and most of our problems get solved. By the way, the ones that don't, like that bum knee, right? Like the flat tire, like that jerky neighbor, right? The problems that don't give, get solved because you are giving the word priority in your life, listen, here's what will happen. Those problems won't drag you down. That's what will happen when you give the word priority. Won't get you worked up. Why? Because of the word, you're walking in peace. You're walking in contentment. You're walking in joy. You're walking in the fruit of the Spirit as the Spirit uses his word to shape us and to make us more like Jesus. You want to solve problems in your life? Man, give God's word priority. Live by the book. Number three. Here's the third principle. Number three is this. Be part of the solution. Now, to be clear, you can go to Acts chapter 9. Dorcas, she was a widow, we find uh, that, um, I think it was Peter stopped and didn't Dorcas die? Tabitha, didn't she die? And Peter raised her from the dead. I think that's how that goes. If I was trying to 
remember spitballing off the top of my head, but, but it wasn't like Peter's like, she's a widow, sorry, can't help, call Stephen. No, he was in town, heard, heard what happened, he went over there. It wasn't like they were too busy. It wasn't like they ignored the widows at that point, but here's what's going on in Acts chapter 6. They needed some help. They needed help to carry out all of their tasks to minister to an increasingly diverse church. So verse 3, brothers and sisters, select from you seven men of good report, full of the spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty, right? Notice, the apostles don't take over the work. They don't take over the work. They could have went with that all too familiar policy, right, or philosophy. If you want something done right, you do it yourself. I have to admit, this principle right here, this is a problem for me. This is a problem for me. This, this is, I, because that's what I do. I've done, so many, if, if something's got to be done, I just, I do it. I just jump in there and, and do it. I've, I've been there. I've, I've done that. But that's not what the apostles do here. That's not their solution. What do they What do they? Suggests they suggest delegating the solution to others. Pastors are called to equip the saints to do what? Do the work of the ministry. You follow that? It's our job as pastors and teachers to equip you, not so that you get real smart with a lot of information and you can win a Bible trivia game. I mean, that'd be cool and everything, but. That's not what this is for. This is to equip you so that you can do, we can do together the work of the ministry. We're to give, we're to, I'm to give ministry away. Our pastors and teachers give ministry away, not hoard it for ourselves, not keep it for ourselves. Word-based officers in the church are not to do it all, nor is everyone called to the word-based role. But here's what we see. Together, in our different positions, we are to work together for the betterment of all, for the good of the church, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the equipping of the church. See, pastors are the only ones in the church, are not the only ones in the church with spiritual gifts. Can I get one amen on that? We're not the only ones. If you're saved, you got at least one. Probably more. What's your spiritual gift? If you're not using your spiritual gift, I can promise you someone is picking up your slack. And it might be your pastor. I don't it might be. Use your spiritual gift God's given you. There's various gifts right here in this body. In fact, I'll tell you how simple-minded I am. I, I believe that God meets all of our needs. What I believe is this. I believe that in our church right now, every need the church has is met by God. Now, we don't have to worry about our needs five years from now, not even a year from now. God, God will take care of those needs when the time comes. But right now, where we are at this moment Every need of the church, as far as the gifting goes, and, and everything else for that matter, but as far as the gifting, is met right here, now. 
And if there is something that is left undone or is falling, it just simply means that we're not utilizing the gifts that God has given us. Maybe what it means is the pastor is hoarding the ministry. Maybe that's what it means, right? Maybe, maybe what it means is, is that I'm not doing a very good job of saying, hey, here's, here's some ministry that needs to happen. This is a problem. Solve this. But I do believe that God has gifted you for part, to have a part in what God wants to do in this body and through this body. You know what I've noticed? I've noticed this. That oftentimes the things that people complain about are directly related to their spiritual gifting. Now try to follow this, right? The person who complains about, you know, the church doesn't have enough outreach. You know what I'm hearing? The guy probably has a gift of evangelism. Probably what's going on there. The person who, who complains about the fact that the church is not friendly enough probably has the gift of hospitality. We want to stick that guy, that gal, right out front, right? Big smile. Welcome, right? Don't hug everybody. They freaks people out. The person who grumbles about how disorganized the church is probably has the gift of administration, the person who laments in a, a lack of discernment over spiritual error probably has the gift of discernment, okay? So the key to resolving differences is for each of us to recognize the validity of our spiritual gifts and to use our gifts to do what? To work on the problems. Does our church have problems? Yep, could you make a list? I could make a longer one. I promise you. I lay awake at night thinking of all the church problems. That's, that's what a pastor does, I guess. Maybe not all of them. The smart ones probably don't. But your gifting, God intends for you to be part of the solution. There are problems to be part of the solution. And as your pastor, I want to help equip you. My job to equip you so that you can be a part of the solution. So use your gift. Not for yourself, right? This isn't for you. This is all about me. It's not all about, ooh, look at, look at my gift. Look what I'm going to do. No, it's for the body, for the equipping and the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, now check this out, right? What are these guys going to do, Right? Look at it. Select someone among you, right? These seven guys. What are they going to do? They're going to wait on tables. And what, what's the, what he says, look, in verse number three, select seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. Look, time out. Is this how churches operate? I mean, typically it's like, do you have a pulse? We're signing you up. You're going to do kid life for the next 15 years. You have a pulse. And you said, yes. You're in, right? These, these guys, they're, they're, not, they're, they're not teaching the, the Sunday school. They're waiting on tables, right? They're waiting on tables. Can you just picture that for a moment? 
Are you seeing it in your head? There's a table, there's food here. Maybe they put it on a cart, it's meals on wheels, they take it to the, to the widows and, hey, here, this is for you. God bless you. Why do you think it was necessary for these men who are going to wait on tables to be full of the spirit and wisdom and have a good reputation? Well, they're going to be interacting with people. You know, widows, they're frail. We've got some widows in the room. You know, get around our widows. You just want to hug them. You know, like, oh, God bless you. How can we help you? You know, you, 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 need, you need spiritually fit people to do a good job in ministry when, when interacting with people, right? And I think what we learn from this as we think about being part of the solution is that we should never put people in positions that aren't ready for them. Now, look, as, as modern churches, we have to walk a fine line here between faith and, and faithfulness when installing leaders. We can't install people who are lacking in these areas in, in the spirit or, or wisdom or reputation. We can't install people who are lacking in those areas. But at times we have to take some risks with those who have these elements, Right? I believe we do. Does it mean that they're, they're all going to always be outstanding? I mean, some make the argument that, that some of these guys turn out to be rascals. You know, and I tried to chase that down. I tried to chase that down. I couldn't find hardcore evidence of it, but, but the truth of the matter is, one of the disciples turned out to be a rascal. And that's, that's just being nice. That's using nice words right? So we, we have to be careful as we are part of the solution. What does God want? He wants us to be spiritually fit. You see, that's why it's necessary that not just the pastor and the leaders of the church have a walk with God. That's why it's important for you to have a walk with God in your own life, to get up and to spend time with God. You see, that has an impact on this church. Just like sin, as we talked about last week, sin, even private sin that we think nobody really knows about can have a ripple effect in our life and it does affect other people. In the same way, our time with God, our walk with God also has a ripple effect and it also has an impact as we serve God, as we minister to the church. I gotta move on. Number four. Number four is, uh, principle is accept the role of a servant, right? These guys are going to wait on tables. Uh, it says that, that word wait there is a word that is translated, uh, it's 31 times in the New, Greek New Testament, 27 of those times it's translated as the word servant, okay? And the, the, the verb, the root verb there just simply means to run errands, right? So, are they leaders or are they servants? Yes. Yes, they are. They are leaders. They are servants. You know, there's no such thing for followers of Christ as a, a category like just a servant. Can I remind us tonight that our Lord Jesus Christ himself the emperor of the universe humbled himself and became 
a servant. You see, leadership scripturally defined is servanthood. These men are servant leaders. What's a servant leader? Well, a servant leader is, is, are those who serve while equipping the rest of the body to serve. Do you catch that? They serve while equipping the rest of the body to serve. They're individuals who lovingly lead and equip others as servants who are able then to do the work of the ministry. Paul, the great apostle Paul, man, that guy was a servant. He says that he willingly poured out his life as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of others' faith. In the church at Corinth, there was an entire household of of a man named Stephanus who devoted, it says that they devoted themselves to serving the saints. His entire household, they were devoted to serving the church, serving the saints. Wow. Wow. And serving the body of Christ, it's not just for a select few. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Listen, so many problems in the church could be well on their way to being resolved if we would use our freedom in Christ not as an opportunity for our flesh, but to serve one another. We had that mentality. I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Will you accept the role of a servant? Number five, fifth principle here, esteem others with love and humility. Luke tells us this, verse five, the proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose out these they chose out these men. And when you look at the names of these men, here's what, you, here's what you have to notice. If not all of them, most of them, but it seems to me that like all of them are, get this, they're Hellenistic names. These were the, Hel- who they chose was not, they, were, they weren't the insiders. They weren't the people that had been in the church forever. These were the outsiders outside their culture, outside their traditions, outside even their language barrier. Those are the ones that they chose. And who had a part in choosing them? The whole congregation. In other words, even the Hebrew, the Hebrew Christians, it wasn't, a, they weren't concerned. Well, I've been here longer, so this is for me. It should be however you're long, you know, in the church. That's who, the longer you're there, the more, higher of a role of servant you should have. No, that's not what's going on here. These were considered some, some newcomers. You talk about deference, you talk about yielding to our brother. Neither sides have a chip on their shoulder. The apostles or anyone else, they don't have their, we don't get the sense that they have ruffled feelings. There's no desire to fight here over territory, no they just respond with love and humility. And that is what we are to do. Paul writes to the church at Philippi that we're to be looking at the interest of others ahead of our own. He wrote this in Philippians 2. Have the same love, united in spirit. Do nothing out of a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, considering others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look on his own interests, should not look on his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Wow. Imagine how quickly we could resolve church problems if 
We all went into it with that mentality. It's not about me, it's about others. How can I, how can I help? How can I put others' interests ahead of my own? Number six, orient everything to God through prayer. So we find in verse six, they have the, these men, they stand before the apostles, and what do they do? They pray. They pray. They were convinced they needed God's help. They didn't like, okay, we got a solution. Don't need to pray anymore. No, they, they prayed. They asked for God to give them wisdom, to empower them. I can just imagine what the apostles prayed for them at that moment. When problems arise, and they will, we can do more than pray, right? We can do more than pray. If squirrels are in your attic, there's more that you can do than pray. But we should, we should always pray first, right? There's more that we can do than pray, but we should never do anything until we have prayed. I mean, even with the squirrels, I, found it, I find it's just great. Just pray about everything. Ever tell you about the time we sold our house in 15 minutes, like literally? Well, that was because we prayed for like a year. Like a year. And then, I think God wants us to put a sign up, for sale by owner. And literally 15 minutes later, how much do you want for your house? I looked at my wife, I'm like, did we come up with a price yet? Pray first, man. Everything. We get ourselves into so much trouble because we, we don't. We don't pray. We do. And then we, like our prayer is, God, get me out of this. <laughs> Rescue me from, from my foolishness. So when problems arise, come together. Rather than choosing sides, give the word priority. Be part of the solution. Accept the role of the servant. Esteem others with love and humility. Orient everything to God through prayer. These can help you in your problems at home or wherever. That's a formula that God still blesses. So what happened? This is the result. This is quick. Verse number seven, here it is, right? Here's what we see. Great things can be accomplished when the church works together in solving problems. And what verse seven says is, so the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. Wasn't the goal? It was the byproduct. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The church was on the move. God's word was being spread. And even priests, these were the most difficult people in town to see saved. These were the guys that were all wrapped up in all the the rituals and, and all the religion and all of that. These were the hardest people to reach. And it says a large number of them got saved. Maybe it was because they saw the church like not killing each other, but but loving each other and, and dealing with things the right way together. So church, this gives us hope, right? If you've ever been through a, a big church fight, listen, let this give you hope. Not hope of a problem-free tomorrow, no. Not hope of a problem-free church, a perfect church. You know what they say, if you find a perfect church, what do you do? What don't you do? You don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore, Right? This is not hope of a problem-free church. If you wake up one day and you have absolutely no more problems, rejoice. Because you, my friend, are in heaven. That's where you are. 
I read about an old couple, and both of them continually struggled with short-term memory loss. You have, they have this problem. Some of, some of us can identify with this. They're always forgetting their keys. You know, they'd walk into a room, and what, why am I in here again? You ever, has that ever happened to you? So one day they go to the doctor, and they, they ask him what they could do. And so he says, hey, look, it's best if you just write everything down. Not only can that uh, help you, you know, because you can look back in your notes, but it also helps you just solidify your, your brain. So just write everything down. And that night, the couple, they're home. They're, they're watching their favorite television show together. And, and the husband jumps up abruptly, and he says, Honey, I'm going to get some ice cream. You care for some as well? And she replied, Oh, yes, dear. Chocolate ice cream with cherries. Maybe you should write that down. No, no, it's simple. Chocolate ice cream with cherries, I got it. Oh, but I would also like some whipped topping on there, please. Dear, really, please, you should write it down. No, I got this. Chocolate ice cream, cherries, whip, whipping topping. I got, I got What could possibly go wrong? How could I forget that? And so with that, he heads off into the kitchen, repeating it under his breath, Right? Chocolate ice cream, cherries, whipped topping, chocolate ice cream, whipped cherries, or cherries and whipped topping. See, I can't remember it. I'm telling the story. Well, he's in the kitchen for 15 minutes when he finally emerges holding a plate of eggs and bacon. And his wife says, I knew you should have written it down. Where's my toast? been there, haven't we? Heaven is going to solve so many problems, but not until heaven will the church be problem-free. Until then, let's solve problems together. Amen? Maybe you should write that down. Let's pray. Lord, 